0: Amen. Good morning, church. I had the wrong cue. I had a paper from another service, and I was waiting for my song. <laughs> I didn't know it was joy to the world. All right. Well, I hope you guys all had a good Thanksgiving. And I hope you were able to enjoy it. And if I I hope you are able to write down what you were grateful for. I, I would ask, but I don't, want to, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but if you wrote your 100 things that 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 you're grateful for, I bet you got something out of it. I bet something came out of that, and you learned a few things. Um, maybe about yourself, maybe about being grateful, maybe about what's on your mind. Um, okay, we're going to... Oh, I think I even got a stick here. Think it's, all right, there we go. So today's lesson, today we're going to preach... Or not we're going to preach, I'm going to preach, you're going to listen... Uh, we're going to study foundations, and uh, we're going to study this together. Uh, I want to say this, you know, it's always funny whenever you're, you, you know, the, there's, there's different dynamics when you're in a room and there's, uh, the other day I was in a room preaching, there's about 9,000 people in there, and there's one kind of dynamic, and then there's a very different dynamic when you're in a room and there's about 40 people in there. When you're in a room with 9,000 people, nobody notices if you're there or not, you know. If you're singing or not, if you're plugged in or not, if you're playing Sudoku on your phone or looking at scriptures or whatever. But when you're in a room with about 30, 40 people, everybody notices, right? And your voice makes a difference. So don't think that just because there's only a few of us, it doesn't matter. In fact it matters even more there's a scripture I love this scripture uh, God says do not despise small things because sometimes small things are great beginnings so uh, uh, just thought I'd throw that out there as we uh, prepare let's go ahead and go to God in prayer Father God, as we open our Bibles, as we prepare to hear your word, help us uh, be open in our hearts and our minds as well, God. Help us to be eager to learn from you, to grow in our knowledge and understanding of you, God. Father, I know that the bottom line is that's what it all boils down to, is our knowledge of you and being with you. And Father, I pray, God, that the words that we study, that the scriptures we read will make a difference in everyone's life today. Help us, God, not to waste the time that we're here, but to make the most of the opportunities we're given this morning. We thank you, God. Please bless our study, bless our time together, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Well, if you're visiting, we're glad you're here. If you're not visiting, if this is your 1,757th time being here, I'm still glad you're here, amen? It's good. I think it's even better that you're here. So the lesson is foundations, and I put up there probably one of the most famous buildings in the world if not the most famous building in the world it's definitely one of the most famous buildings in the world does anybody know the name of this building? the Tower of Pisa yes the Tower of Pisa And said, well wait I thought it was leaning I actually straightened it up in my picture (laughs) to try to fool you to see if I could fool you the Tower of Pisa is probably one of the most famous buildings in the world. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people visit it every day or every year. They go to, to Pisa, which uh, is, a, is a place in Campo de Maricoli in Italy. And it was built in 1173, and it's made of white marble. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful building. But obviously, there's a problem here, right? It's leaning. And it shouldn't be, and it was after it was built, it actually started having problems right from the beginning. Somebody should have caught on that the word pisa, which is what the area where they built it is called, means marsh in the original language. So not a good idea to build a huge marble building on a marshland, right? On land that's been filled in, basically, over marsh. And so, of course, within, within five years, it took a total of 200 years to build the building. Within five years, it started to lean. Within about 100 years, people couldn't go in it because they were afraid it was going to fall over. And ever since then, uh, they've done all kinds of efforts. Uh, you know, not only do, you know, everybody wants to come take a picture holding up the Leaning Tower of Pisa. But, you know, they've done all these different projects to get it straightened out. And And they've successfully got it, so at least so it's not getting worse. They've stopped it and, and corrected it a little bit, but it's too late to fix it. All this happened not because they had a bad architect, which they actually don't even know who the original architect. By the way, Galileo was baptized there, um, not because they didn't have brilliant people around, not because they had faulty marble. It wasn't even because they didn't have the right plans. The bottom line was, nobody checked the foundation. Nobody made sure the foundation was solid enough to carry this kind of weight. There's actually a huge building right next to it, and also made out of marble, which is slowly sinking. And both buildings are slowly sinking because the ground, the foundation, isn't strong enough to hold it up. Uh, when, when Michelle and I lived in Mexico City, one of the most beautiful buildings in the city is La Bella de Artesanía, um, the, the, no, the Bellas Artes building, and it's all white marble, it's gorgeous, and when you go to it, you walk down to it, the, and, and it's because it's made of marble, and if you know Mexico City was built on a lake, so it, the ground is also filled, landfill. So it isn't strong enough to hold the weight of that. The big cathedral in, in the Plaza de Mexico the, is, is crooked because half of it weighs more than the other half, and it's sinking. Foundations are everything. One of the things that, that I loved doing when we moved back to San Diego was going down to Tijuana and building houses. So we'd go down there with a the group, and in four days we'd build a house and hand it over to the couple and the family, and it was, it was really a cool thing. It was really fun. The first day was always the toughest day, and part of the rules of building the house is we weren't allowed any power tools. Everything had to be by hand. So we had to mix the cement by hand and lay out the cement, and usually with a group of people that have never done this before. And, and we were lucky if we had somebody in the group that knew how to do something. You know, and after a while, we got smarter. We always made sure there was at least one builder in the group that could help us, the rest of us. But... One time, we, we, we mixed the cement, we laid it all out there, and we were so excited. And that's a, that's a long, hard day. Toughest day of the four days. The next day, we come back, and it was crooked. And so we're like, okay, well, what if we did this? And what if we put some wood over here? And, but there was one builder among us. And he just laughed and said, no way. He said, you need to tear it up, dig it up and lay the foundation again. And we're like, come on, what if, we, what if we prop it up over here a little bit and put some wood over here and put some rocks there? And he was like, he looked at us, he's like, aren't you guys supposed to be Christians? And I'm like, well, yeah. Then you should know how important the foundation is. We're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry, forget it. The foundation is everything. Because everything rests on it. Everything depends on it. So Jesus, of course, talked about foundations. And that's our main scripture today. Matthew chapter 7. If you would turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, and I'm starting a little bit before the parable, because you got to know the context of the parable. What is the context? Why is he saying this? What is this part of a bigger dialogue? What dialogue? He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So not everybody who calls on me, not everybody who cries out, Lord, not everybody who knows who I am, is necessarily going. Don't be fooled. It's basically what he's saying. The ones who are going to heaven, the ones who are going to be with God are the one who does, not just says, not just knows, not is just aware, but does the will of my Father in heaven. He says many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Not only is it not people, not just people who know Jesus, but even religious people. Even a lot of religious people are not going to make it. People who drove out demons. Driven out any demons lately? People who've done miracles, who prophesied. Have you prophesied? Can you predict who's going to win the game this weekend? Many Predictions. I mean, people with some special gifts here. Even that doesn't mean they're with God. He says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. He says, I don't even know them. Not really, I don't know them. They don't know me, I don't know them. Sure, there's a knowledge of, yeah, I know who that is, that's Jesus. Sure, I know who that is. I know who you are, but do you really know? Do you know that person? He said, I don't really know them. And then he tells the parable. So it's in the context of really knowing and being with Jesus. And not being fooled. We can be fooled. We can be deceived, Right? We can be deceived by others, and we can be self-deceived, too. We can tell ourselves, oh, I'm fine, when we're not fine. We can tell ourselves, oh, I can handle this, when we can't handle it. And we can tell ourselves, I'm doing what's right, when we know we're not doing what's right. And still, like, we and he And okay, here's the acid test. Here's the test is of whether your life is with God or not. And he tells the story. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, okay, everyone who hears and practices, they hear it and they put it into practice. They don't just hear it. They don't just memorize it. They put it into practice. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, They hear the Bible. They hear the preaching. They read the scriptures. But they don't do what it says. They go home and act the same. They walk out no different than when they walked in. They can read what Jesus says and ignore it. And remain unchanged. He says, those people... It's like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now you have to understand the importance of this. What is the greatest sermon ever preached? The Beatitudes, actually the Beatitudes is the beginning of a sermon, right? Beginning of what sermon? Sermon on the Mount. What's the end of the Sermon on the Mount? We're reading it. This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. The greatest sermon ever, ever preached, this is how it ended. Basically, Jesus rolls out all these incredible things. All these amazing things that we need to know for our life, for godliness, for success, for victory over sin, to get to heaven, how to have a good life, how to have great relationships, how to to have a great family, how to have a great future. All of it's in there. And at the end he says, basically it's useless if you don't put it into practice though. You've got to put it into practice. Because why? Because you're building a life. The one thing we all have in common is we're all building a life. And At some point in life, we figure that out. Oh, I'm putting my own life together. At some point in life, some people very young in their teens, some people very late until their 40s, they figure it out, oh, I'm responsible for me. My life depends on my decisions and what I do and what I don't do. My life depends on the choices I make. I'm building my life. And here's the thing. Is you only get one shot. That's it. I'd love to believe reincarnation's true. But it's not. It's a nice little lie. It'd be great. Wouldn't it be great? Like video games. You could just do over. Just start over. Let it die. Pop up with a new life. Wouldn't that be Great. But that's not how it works. We're all appointed to die and appear before God. That's what the Bible says once. One shot. But it's a great shot. It's a great shot. And you got a bunch of time to figure things out and to to, to figure out how do I build a great life. And and he gives us one of the keys here there's two foundations sand and rock. You got to choose. Which one are you going to build on? What kind of person are you going to be? What's going to be your crowd? You know, somebody once said, you can't fly like an eagle if you hang out with turkeys, right? (laughs) You got to figure out who's going to be my crowd, who's going to influence me, who am I going to become like, who's who's going to help me or not help me, right? Right? We all figure that out. We figure, you know, it, it, uh, figuring out who we are is one of the hardest things in life. High school is horrible because of it. Everybody's trying to figure out who they are, right? In high school, and then back in the day, you, you know, we had jocks and nerds and surfers and gangbangers, and you know, it was it was you had to figure out which is going to be your crowd. Now they got socials, and they had. What was it, Nemos or Emos or something, and and punkers and all these different groups that ran around? There's groups being made up all the time, and all they are is old groups refurbished and renamed, you know. But same, all these different groups, and we all had to figure out what group was our group, right? Or you were the no group person, and that was the worst. I mean, you had to either be super strong, or you were just really sad, right? In college, we had to figure out who am I going to become. What am I going to study? Am I going to be an engineer, an artist, or you know, like all of us? Like, like I started, I was an ape art major, and the classrooms were packed, and there was lots of us. Two years later, probably like ten of us were still art majors, because most of us figured out the rest of us aren't going to get jobs <laughs> unless you're really good or talented or something, you know. But we figure this out. We make this make huge decisions that we build our life on. Decisions that begin with Jesus. Do I believe him? Do I really believe in this stuff? I mean, I'm going to church and I'm singing about it. I'm reading about it. But do I really believe? Do I believe it enough to stake my whole life on it? To put everything I got on this? that I'm a Christian, that I follow Jesus. Do I believe that this book is really the truth? I mean, there's a lot of different ways to live, right? There's a lot of different philosophies out there. I mean, the teachings of the world, there's a bunch of them. And there's a bunch of religions. And, and it's actually even cool now to be different religions or to mix and match. I mean, religion, it used to be like, okay, where do you go? Do you go to temple, synagogue, church? You know, used to be which church do you go to, what denomination? Now it's all like buffet. I'll take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of Hindu, a little bit of Buddhism, a little bit of Christianity. And we mix it up. We make our own. <coughs> which adds up to nothing. Right. I remember uh, in, in history one time, uh, I was a history major too. They showed us a Bible... That Thomas Jefferson, he went through and he cut out all the scriptures he didn't like. All the scriptures he disagreed with. And his whole Bible was about that thick compared to this. Now wouldn't that be nice? If you could just cut out whatever you don't like. But is it the truth anymore? No. You're believing a lie. You're building your life on sand. We say, how can anybody be so stupid? How can anybody do something like that? But we do it all the time. When we ignore the parts of the Bible we don't like. You remember the king who tried to burn up the scriptures? He tried to burn up the scroll from the prophet. Pretending that it wasn't true. We can't do that. It's either all true or it's not true at all. It is either... The rock you build on. Or it's a lie. And that's the first and probably the most important decision you're going to make in your whole life. Whether or not you really believe. And then the second one is, am I going to put it into practice? I remember the first time I sat down and did a Bible study. And my friend, Jeff Chacon, who did the Bible study with me. He said, do you commit to doing everything it says? And I literally, I remember I pushed my chair back and I said, whoa. I mean, I get scared buying a car. You want my whole life. <laughs> you want me to sign on everything. But then I thought, what, what else am I going to do? <laughs> say no? <laughs> I don't believe God? And see, what happens is most of it just kind of gets stuck in the middle. Well, I'm not going to say no. But I'm not going to sign on either. I'm going to stay in between. (laughs) There's only two. Sand or rock. And you have to choose. The thing about sand. You ever go to the beach and build a sandcastle? Or see the sandcastle building competitions? Beautiful things. I mean, beautiful. Way beyond anything I ever did. But sooner or later, they all crumble, right? Because no matter how beautiful they are, they all fall apart. They're sand. Of course they're going to fall apart. They're not rock. What's the sand in our life? Money. Here today, gone to Maui, right? Comes and goes. Comes and goes. You can't count on it. And, 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 you know, you got to watch out for money because it's a tricky one. Remember the parable of the salary? He said, the deceitfulness of wealth. We think that if I just had some money, my life would be good. And we really think that. And you're looking at me going, no, I don't think that. I'm above that. Yeah, well, imagine if you were walking out to your car and you saw a hundred dollar bill just laying there. Nobody else around. Couldn't have been. There it was. Boom. Look at, listen, listen to you guys. You see, you guys. You get all happy just looking at it. Just looking at it. You're getting all happy. Those endorphins are all firing away in your brain. Man, if I had a few more of those, I would be so happy. No, you wouldn't. You'd have more problems. You would buy more stuff to make your life easier. And then you'd have to pay for that stuff. So you'd have to work more. Which would make your life more miserable. It Would stress you out and fill your life with anxiety. To pay for all the stuff you bought. Believe me, I, I, read, a, I read a research that was done. And they took like, a neighborhood in Bel Air and took a neighborhood in South Central L.A. And they compared the quality of people's lives. And they looked at everything. How much money they have. Divorce rates, drug rates, abuse rates. They did an index of happiness. Guess which group was happier? The South Central LA group. With, no, nah, I know South Central. We're not that happy. <laughs> You don't know Bel-Air. And you don't know how unhappy. Oh, but they look happy on TV. Yeah, they're on TV. And they had somebody paint them to look happy. And we know that. On one level we know that, but on another level we're like, oh yeah, but I can handle it. (laughs) If I found just $10,000, I'd be happy. Just $50,000, I'd be happy. I can handle it. Even though we know it's sand. It's sand. It doesn't really give happiness. It's not where happiness comes from. Fame and popularity. If I had a lot of friends. If I had 10,000 people following me. If I had this. If I had that. It disappears. It doesn't last very long. Skills, even skills, talents, we think education, athletic ability. Ask men in their 40s and 50s about athletic ability. Looks, some of us were given the gift of good looks, but God plays a joke on us to humble us all. Your nose never stops growing and neither do your ears. So those beautiful, perfect proportions, they go off. As time goes by. And they're not so perfect anymore. Even things like education. There's always somebody more educated and smarter than you. I don't care what your grades are. Somebody's smarter than you. And it happens. It's just sand. Now that doesn't mean those things aren't good. They have their place. They have their role in life. And some of them are more helpful than others. But they're not The rock. They're not what's going to get you through the storms. They're not going to get you through the difficult times of life. Money won't do it. I had an article that I carried for years. It was a cutout of Lee Iacocca, one of the richest men in America, turned around major corporations. And I remember I cut it out of the newspaper because he said, I can build multi-billion dollar companies. But what I really wish I could do was manage a marriage and a family. He said, I have failed on both those. He he would trade all that power, fame, and wealth for a happy marriage and a happy family. Because his were a disaster. The rock. We all need the rock. We all need what's going to help us Get there. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We don't think this naturally. We don't think that my life's going to come from a book or from words. But there's something very powerful about God's words. There's something spiritual that we can't see A lot of us, how many of you when you read the Bible for the first time, really read it and studied it, it changed your life? Raise your hands. Look around, how many of the people in here? Their lives were changed. Now mind you, I could have them all come up here and share just like Lexus did and we'd all have some major stuff that changed. All of us would. And it wasn't Changed because the person who reached out to us was so brilliant. They talked us out of it. It was changed by the power of the word of God. It was changed by just reading the Bible. I've seen people be freed from things that enslave them like heroin. Oh, cocaine. Be set free by the word of God. People who were slaves to hatred, racism, bitterness, set free of it. I mean free of it. Where they loved diversity. Where they enjoyed multicultural experiences. Instead of being trapped by hatred. I've seen people overcome so many things. And change radically. And a lot of you have too. Especially if you've been around a while. By what? The word of God. I mean we all like a good preacher. It's good to have a good preacher. To have somebody who can correctly handle the word of God. But it's not the preacher that changes people. It's the word of God that changes you. It's just reading. You say well how can a bunch of words change? Listen, the, the Bible says the entire universe was made by the word of God. God said, let there be light. And there was light. It was his word. It was just his word. Hebrews chapter 1 says that Jesus sustains the power of his word, sustains everything in the universe if the power of his word can keep the sun burning for 50 billion years to give life and light to the planet earth so that everything can grow and all the plants and animals can thrive, if he has that much power, do you think he can handle your problems? Yeah. I think so. I think so. But it's really stopping and recognizing that. It's the Word of God that changes my life. But the question is how how well, number one, do we know God's Word? Do you know it very well? Are you learning it now? Are you growing in your knowledge of the Word of God? Or was it back when you became a Christian when you grew the most in it? Are you growing in it now? Is it a part of your life? Like, is it something you just do in the morning, you check in with God, like punch in, punch out, and go to work, and go live your real life? Or is it part of your day? Do you have any scriptures in your pocket, on your phone, to remind you? Do you have scriptures you go to when you're struggling, when you're discouraged, when you're under attack by Satan? When, 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 when you're hurting, what are your go-to scriptures? You, you, you should have them right there. Boom, boom, boom. Or at least written in your Bible where you know to go to them. Where you know to find them. Are you relying on... Does, does God's word override your emotions and your will? Or do your emotions override God's word? Are you depending on him are you relying on him that's what faith really is faith is not believing faith is relying on depending on being supported by being sustained in abiding in that's what faith is trusting God will get me through this and sometimes I don't feel like God will get me through it so I just keep reading scripture until it changes my heart. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down green pastures. He leads me by still waters. You know, I memorized that Psalm 23. Because I was going through a hard time. And I would say it to myself two or three times a day. And I'd just repeat it, and repeat it, and repeat it. And when I did say it to myself, I didn't say it one time. I'd say it ten times. Until I felt it again. There's the power of the word working on my brain. Working on my heart. Something happens. People are beginning to document it with research of things that happen in your brain when you read scriptures over and over. They already know people that have faith get healthier faster. They recover from surgery faster. All kinds of weird stuff. But stuff we already knew because it's in the Bible. That you do better when you're walking by faith depending on God. And and God commands us, He calls us to be somebody who's good at handling Scripture. When somebody comes up to you and says, Is it true this, this, or that? You gotta have a scripture to share. Don't share your wisdom, share God's wisdom. Or I'm hurting. I've had a bad week. What scriptures would you show them? What would you, what, what one scripture? To help them know how much God loves them. What's your go-to scripture? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. I mean, do you know, do you know how awesome God is? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. And he will not grow weary, tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. Feel weary? You ever feel weary? You ever just feel like, you know what, I'm just tired. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of dealing with this, whatever this is. We get this, right? You get this. You have this in your life. And you just get tired of it sometimes. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. How just you like to power up? Yeah. Not by a monster drink. Yeah. By a monster scripture. Yeah. So yeah, but it's not going to wake me up when I got a long drive. Okay, drink your monster drink, but read the scripture. Yeah. And memorize it as you're driving. Because that will power up your soul. That will power up your Spirit. That will strengthen you on the inside. Maybe not ways that you can see, but ways that will become evident in how you act That's right. and what you give into. You know, the saddest thing to me is when I see Christians that are so beat down by sin and they don't realize you're not realizing that who is in you is greater than who's in the world. That you have the power of God at your fingertips. But you're letting Satan beat you up. Or you're letting Satan beat your marriage up. Or tear apart your relationship with your kids. Turn to him and he will heal you. Turn to him and he will help you. Read those scriptures. And you got to read it 50. I mean, there, there are people that would read scriptures like a thousand times in one day. Just to be healed. Just to let the power of God in them. He says, even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. You like your strength renewed? They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. And they will walk and not be faint. You know, we we get this physically. We know what this stuff is physically. But the physical is there to show us what's happening spiritually. You can be powered back up again. You can be strengthened again. But it's the word of God that does it. That's right. Do you believe what I'm saying? Yes. I hope so because it's true. Everywhere I go I offer myself as a living example of chaos that has been helped by God's word. Of a disastrous life that God has put back together. Because of his power. Because of his strength. Strength. Because of who he is in this world. Not because of who we are. God is so awesome. He says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from the heavens, and do not return to it without watering the earth, and making it bud and flourish So that it yields for the sower and bread for the for the I can't read that eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth; it will not return to me empty. It won't come back empty. So God knows this that He puts His word out there, and it will change things, and it will bless things. And it will make things better, and it will make things right. That's right. Who will that happen with? Depends on who lets the word change them. It depends on who figures out. I gotta rely on God's word. I gotta go turn to Scripture. I gotta, and I'm not saying that doesn't mean you need other help too sometimes. Because we do need other help too sometimes, and that's okay. But I'll tell you this: there are many things in life that beat us up because we're weak. You know that if your immune system's down, you're going to catch whatever anybody has in the room, right? It's the same thing. If you're spiritually weak, you're going to catch bad attitudes, you're going to catch bitterness, you're going to catch negativity that's all around you all day long. And you'll be complaining just like the same non-Christian standing next to you with the same heart. And you don't even realize it. They've converted you instead of you converting them. They've made you a non-Christian. Unless you're strong in the word of God. Unless you're strong in the word of God. So, this is how you know a Christian. They know the voice of Jesus. He said, my sheep, they know my voice. And they follow my voice. The Christian learns to listen. To Jesus' voice, right? In the end, this is really what matters. In the end, the Bible says that Jesus said, I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. But he said, but my words, these words right here, the words written in here, that's what will judge a person in the end. What's the most important thing in the end? You know, there's a lot of good reasons to become a Christian. You you have a constant power source. You have the hope of a better life. Most Christians do better financially. Most Christians do better absolutely in marriage. Absolutely in family. And even, I would even say, in tragedies, they do way better. It's where they shine. It's like somebody asked C.S. Lewis one time, why do Christians get cancer? Because for some reason, some people think that because you're a Christian, you're not going to suffer. And he said, we get cancer to show the world the difference. Come on, it's our chance to shine when we're going through hardships, when we're going through tough times. And all that is true and good about life as a Christian. But in the end, what really matters is, am I going to heaven or not? And Jesus said the words, the very words he spoke, that's what's going to judge us. Did we do what he said to do? Did we listen and practice? Because that's what's most important. That's what ultimately counts. We need to, we need to be good at it just because we got a lot of challenges in life, right? Raise your hand if you got challenges in life. We all got lots of challenges in life, right? Right? So you need your Bible. You need to listen to Jesus and put it into practice because storms are coming your way. Right? They're here. So you need it. But in the end, we want the Word to have saved us. I'll close out with this story. family was doing their family devotional and they're talking about judgment day. And the Bible says that on judgment day the, the book of life will be open and the names will be read, right? And Revelation talks about that. And so dad, the dad would say, okay, we're going to practice answering. So the book of life will be open and I'll say, mommy, are you here? And mommy will say, here. And little Bobby, I'll read your name and you'll say, and he goes, here. And little Juanito, you know, I don't know, they were a mixed family. And, you know, little Juanito, and Juanito say, Aquí estoy, you know, and, and they were practicing, and they were all having fun. About a week later, they're in a bad car accident. And little Bobby was in a coma. It's a little guy, about five years old. And he wasn't doing well. The doctor told the family, we need you to come in. He's not going to make it through the night. So they gathered around his bed, and they held hands, and they prayed. And as they were praying, suddenly Bobby took a deep breath and opened his eyes. And he said, here. And then he closed his eyes. In the end, that's what matters. That we can say, here. Because I listen to the word of God. God bless you.